Welcome back to the Clips of the Podcast. It is Sunday, February 17th, and Ben and Sam here with you today to talk women's basketball. Sam, uh, about the only good thing going on right now in Clemson basketball is the women's team, 17-9, 8-5. Should we craft a whole show around that? Uh, We could, but I don't know if uh, everybody wants to hear all about the women's team, although they are doing really well. Yeah, yeah, I guess the appetite is not there quite yet, but um, a pretty phenomenal turnaround after what winning only one game in ACC play last year to see I them at seventeen and right. nine, eight and five—that's um, miraculous. I don't think that I, I would have ever seen that, um, at least not with such a short turnaround after they got rid of Audra Smith last year. Yeah, uh, Coach Butler's done an incredible job turning the team around. Yeah, it's been amazing, and uh, kudos to those girls. I mean, a lot of them are the same that have been on the teams the last several years, so uh, good for them to buy in, and it's uh, really showing on the court. So, um, But the real reason we're here today is to talk about the men's basketball team, who are not faring quite as well. They are 15-10 and 10 overall in the year, 5-7, and seven, which is good for ninth in the ACC. Uh, the last time we checked in was right after the pit game, which had Clemson kind of turning the corner and feeling good after a slow start in the ACC. Um, and, and we said, Sam, going into that five-game stretch after the pit game that we really wanted to see the team go 4-1, and one, and that was quite possible. Um, but as it turns out, they went 3-2 and two with uh, two losses on the road by one point. To be quite honest, we could have won all five of them, but the fact of the matter is that we didn't. The good news is, is that team is that this team is still battling and not giving up hope. Uh, but where do we stand right now, Sam? Uh, I mean, you, you painted a pretty good picture there, Ben. Five, uh, 15 and 10 for the season, 5 and 7 in the ACC. Uh, the remaining portion of our schedule in the ACC is not overly strong. We've got two tough games and another medium one left and a couple of easy ones that should be wins. And I emphasize should be. Uh, we'll see if we, we can hold our own in those. Uh, but this team still has a chance to make the tournament, and if they take care of business and sneak one out against a probably superior team in either Florida State or North Carolina in the in the coming weeks, we we should see them in the tournament come March. Well, and we've seen this that this team is capable of doing that. They of course beat Virginia Tech. They lost by uh, one to Louisville on the road. They lost by what two to NC State on the road yep. in heartbreaking fashion. So it. And, and then, of course, you have the heartbreaking loss to Miami. So it's been a kind of a series of, of, of heartbreaks here um, for this basketball team. But again, I will uh, reemphasize that you still do not ha- have seen no quit in this team. This team has every bit of fight that they've had at the beginning of the year. Um, and they still think it's possible. You can tell in the way they're playing. Yes, there's some fundamental errors that, that need to be um, addressed and fixed if this team is going to have success moving forward. But the bottom line is, is this team is more than capable of finishing this season strong and making it into the NCAA tournament. 
Um, so, Sam, let's first uh, do a quick recap of the five games uh, that have uh, played out since the last time we checked in. Uh, the first of which was a win at Wake Forest, uh, mm-hmm. or sorry, went home against Wake Forest. Uh, that was a 64 to 37 beatdown. The the basketball team jumped out to 22 to seven lead and really never looked back. They held Wake under 20 points in both halves. Uh, Wake shot only 24 percent from the field, under 14 percent for three. So the defense really started to lock down. It's good to see that perimeter defense locking down. Um, yep. Clemson had 10 blocks in the game, seven of those by Elijah Thomas. And on top of that, Thomas had 23 points on 10 of 11 shooting and 10 rebounds. Uh, so, and then finally, Mitchell and Reed struggled shooting again, uh, combined six or 17 from the field, one of six from three. He was actually the only Clemson player to score, or Thomas, Thomas was the only Clemson player to score d- double digits in this game. So, well, the defense, uh, there was a lot to talk about there, not so much from the offense. Yeah, the, the next few games uh, after Pitt were, Really masterful performances for the defense. Eli Thomas had seven blocks each in the Wake Forest and Georgia Tech games. Uh, and he has been eating on the low block uh, the last few games, including the games against Miami and, and Louisville and Virginia Tech that were closer. Um, but we, we took care of business against Wake and Georgia Tech, and it showed that we were the better team in both those games. Uh, but we did it with defense. We gave up 37 uh, against Wake and then just 42 against Georgia Tech and uh, able to put up 65 against Georgia Tech, which is actually a pretty decent defense uh, this season. So a uh, good couple of good performances going into that Virginia Tech matchup that was a little bit heavier and more important for the team. Yeah, absolutely. That that Georgia Tech game, again, was it played out very similarly to the Wake Forest game. Clemson got out to a 17-point lead early on and, and pretty much maintained a steady lead throughout the game, holding uh, Tech to only 18 points in the second half. Tech actually shot better from behind the arc than they did from the field in this game. Uh, Clemson out-rebounded Georgia Tech by 15. That was uh, huge. Uh, You mentioned Thomas. He actually had five blocks in that game. It was seven blocks he had in the Virginia Tech game. Um, Reed leading the way with 19 points, um, but 0 for 4 from 3 in that game, and that started to become a trend. Um, But then going into that Virginia Tech game, having picked up those two wins – you know, things are going according to plan at that point. Again, thinking that we wanted to go four and one with the Virginia Tech game, and the Louisville game being the obvious uh, possibilities for a loss. But yep. Clemson goes uh, into Little John against, at the time, number 11 ranked Virginia Tech. They win by eight, uh, 59 to 51 score. Um, Clemson went up 6-5, four and a half minutes into the game and held the lead for the rest of the game at uh, that point. So that was good to see. It stayed close for the most part, but the fact that Clemson did maintain that lead throughout the, the remainder of the game was a very positive thing. Um, again, great defense by the Tigers. Virginia Tech shot only 28% from the floor and 26% from three. Clemson had 12 blocks in this game to Virginia Tech's one. Thomas had seven, as I That's mentioned. That's the other one he had seven in. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so within a three-game uh, spread right there. Uh, 19 blocks for him. 19 pretty, blocks pretty for, for Elijah Thomas. Uh, Mitchell led the way against Virginia, Virginia Tech with 22 points, um, including going five for nine from three, re-adding 15. So, again, only scoring 59 points in this game, but a trend in those three games in a row of really lockdown defense, and that's what got the Tigers the win. Yep, and I want to give a shout-out to David Scarra, Starting with the Virginia Tech game, he's been on a streak of some incredible defense and shutting down some of the best players in the ACC. Uh, against Virginia Tech, he was guarding Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, who's their 6'5 
point guard. He's taken over at point guard since Justin Robinson went down with an injury. And Skara held him to just two for nine from uh, two-point range and one for five from three in the game uh, and only 13 points. And this is one of the guys who's one of the leading scorers in the country uh, and a much smaller, quicker player than you would think Skara would be guarding. But he... He's shown himself to be an extremely versatile defender, and he's done a great job the last three or four games. Yeah, and I, I think uh, with him playing such good defense, I think that in part has led to some of his drop in offensive production, and we can talk about that later. But um, that's what the Clemson team needs right now is a lockdown defender that can really go out against the opposing team's uh, best score, you know, as long as it's not a post player. Um, and Scara has, has done that and been that uh, this year. So, again, really big for this team that he came back this year. Huge. Uh, we've talked about it multiple times before, but uh, the beginning of this streak, the Virginia Tech game was the beginning of a streak of just some really awesome performances by him. Uh, the Miami game, which is the next one we could talk about in a little bit more detail, uh, ended in disappointing fashion, but Scar did a fantastic job on their tiny five, seven point guard. Chris likes throughout the entire game. Um, he ended up only he ended up scoring twenty one, hitting some shots late. But uh, Scar did a great job to slow him down, uh, as well as slowing down Zach Johnson and Anthony Lawrence when he was switched onto them. Yeah. So moving on to that Miami game, uh, just another critical loss for this team that honestly should not have happened. Miami's not a good basketball team. I know it's an ACC road game, and those are hard to come by. Um, but a one point loss there. This was a back and forth game for the most part. Clemson was up two at the half. Uh, Miami did go on a 13-0 run to go up 10 as Clemson went scoreless for three and a half minutes early in the second. Again, that continues to be a problem for this team. Um, good sign the Tigers did battle back going up one with a minute and 16 left to play. Uh, then Clemson holds Miami on the ensuing drive, but Reed misses a layup with 21 seconds left. And that leads to Zach Johnson's buzzer beater from 15 feet to win. Um, you know, Which was defended Saint, fantastically well by Shelton Mitchell as well. It, it was, was. a lucky was, chuck that rimmed around about four times and then finally fell after it hit the backboard in the rim like six times. Yeah, and this guy was two of nine shooting on the day. So, I mean, that's just a bad break right now, right there. So you can't, you know, there's nothing to do with coaching on that play. The, it was defended excellently. But I think the problem is the way that the game played out before that. Clemson just seemed to last, lack focus, um, shot only 42% from the field and just under 16% from three. Um, again, Reed leads the team with 19 points, but 0 for 3 from 3. Mitchell, 15 yep. points, 1 for 5 from behind the arc. Um, yeah, we've been complaining about it all year, but uh, Marquise's 19 points came on 5 of 17 from the field, and you said 0 for 3. He got to the line a lot. He was 9 for 9 from the line uh, against I Mitchell, think we were perfect as a team in this game. We were, yeah. 15 for 15, which was great. Uh, it was just a little bit short. Uh, we needed one more shot or one more stop, and we, we didn't get it. And I think putting ourselves in that position to make a game that close against a Miami team who is, while dangerous, they've got guys like uh, Dejan Vasiljevic and Chris Likes who can go out and score a bunch of points for them. They both had over 20 in this game. Vasiljevic specifically got incredibly hot in the second half. Um, ended up 5 for 10 from 3 on the game with 22 points, but we can't be in, in matchups that close with teams that are clearly inferior to us in talent, uh, without Dewan Hernandez, um, with them, Miami has, has had a terrible season there. They were three and nine in the ACC after they beat us. Um, and it's just, 
not teams that we should be that close with. We need to put ourselves in better position. No, and in general, in ACC play, just because it is so competitive, you can't afford these losses against teams that you should really beat, and especially after Clemson dug themselves into an early hole with that tough schedule to open up conference play. Um, so you just hope that, that this is not one like the NC State game that comes back to bite this team in the butt. Um, so moving on to the Louisville game right now during this last five-game um, uh, f- five game stretch, Clemson goes into that at, at three and one, and that really kind of becomes a must win. Yep. Um, if you don't really want to put a ton of pressure on yourself for the remaining six games to close out the season. So again, on the road at Louisville, a ranked team, Clemson drops this one by one. Uh, they led for most of the game, but suffered several scoring droughts throughout that allowed Louisville to stay in it. Um, Thomas missed two free throws with the chance to go up one with just over a minute left. And then Reed gets the rebound on the second miss, but immediately forces up a, a, a poor shot. Um, Louisville, Louisville goes down, gets a dunk to go up. Uh, 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 a three-point play, get a dunk and one to go up four there. Mm-hmm. And then Reed does go down, has some success shooting some threes um, late in that game. The Tigers were able to come back. And then ultimately, uh, down what we were down one, yeah, down one. Yep. Miami attempts to inbound under their basket. Thomas steals the inbound pass, uh, but the floater gets blocked. Um, and that was by Reed, wasn't it? Yeah, the uh, the inbound came from Jordan Wara, uh, which was he had a terrible game. He ended up with eleven points. He's one of the leading scores in the ACC. Uh, another guy that. Um, that Scara shut down for most of the game. The one bad play Scara made was that dunk and one that Nora Wara had at a, with about a minute left to go. Um, and so Wara was passing it in with three and a half seconds left. Marquise had just hit two threes in the last six seconds of gameplay. We tied them up to get a jump ball to get that second three attempt. Um, and Wara inbounded it. Supposed to be to Dwayne Sutton, who fell. Uh, it ended up going straight into Marquise's hands right in the middle of the key. He put up a floater. Nora recovered uh, and blocked it. It fell into John Newman's hands. He shot a very hurried fadeaway thing uh, right before the clock expired, and it clanged off the front of the rim. Uh, it was The chance was there. Uh, we put ourselves in position to try and steal one, but again, we had the lead late in this game. Uh, a couple of missed free throws from Eli late in the game would have given us the lead again. And, uh, you know, it's a missed opportunity. This would have been a huge win for this team, a full strength Louisville squad. Who's number 16 in the country coming into that game, uh, on the road. Yeah. On the road in a very tough environment. The last five minutes, the crowd was super loud for this game. Um, Unfortunately, Kristen Cunningham and uh, Wara and the rest of the team were able to pull it out for Louisville. Cunningham had an incredible second half. He was responsible for like 25 of their uh, their points in the second half, either through scoring or assisting. There was about a 13-minute stretch where he scored 11 and assisted on three threes. And that was kind of the stretch where, where Louisville took the lead and took control of the game. We're just not quite able to recover and uh, and finish this one off. And again, just another instance of Clemson not getting down on themselves after you know blowing their lead and Louisville going up during that scoring drought. They still stayed in it and fought back, and despite all odds, had the opportunity to win the game at the end. And the difference is between the NC State and the Miami games is that the ball did not drop for this Clemson team. Um, and at some point, all that fight and effort, if it's not 
turning out wins, then it's kind of all for naught. Um, yep. But it still remains. The fact still remains. And we mention this every single time is that Brad Brownell does not lose his team. His players love him. Um, a lot of people don't seem to understand that um, when they're calling for his head every time Clemson loses a basketball game. Um, and, and listen, these last three losses for the Tigers, they've been in it. It's been by a total of four points. Yep. And I, I don't think that coaching was really to blame in any of those situations, unless you're taking it from a, from a wider angle and saying he's not preparing them properly, which I would argue with anyway, but it's something that we've seen throughout this season, especially we play to the level of our opponents um, with the exception of Virginia and Duke who dominated games against us. We don't lose big margins. Like you said, the last three games we've lost by a combined four points or last three losses, excuse me. Um, but we are right there against teams like Virginia Tech, Louisville, Florida State. Um, we were in it against Syracuse till late. We are a good basketball team, uh, but we need to take care of business. Something we did well last year was win the games we were supposed to by convincing margins. Yeah, we can This year, that has not been the case. We can beat every team in this league outside of Duke, North Carolina, and Virginia. In my opinion, I think we have legitimate I, absolutely, every absolutely. Time. Uh, this team is good enough for that. The, the, the fact is they need to play consistent and we've seen a lot of inconsistencies this year and just some mental and fundamental mistakes that they just need to get wrapped up. And a lot of that centers around the, the shooting. It has been poor <laughs> this year, the loss of Dante Grantham and then Gabe DeVoe has had an impact on this team. Um, but you know, they are who they are, and, and they're, they're working with the players that they've got on the court and on the bench, and in my opinion, that's still enough for this team to make it into the NCAA tournament. Uh, so let's move on here and dive a little bit deeper into some of the issues uh, this team has been facing and talk about possibly what they could do to turn things around. Okay, so the, the crux of the matter is scoring has really been an issue for this team all year long. So they have to play defense. Yep. Uh, whereas last year, their offensive performances allowed them to, to be not as locked down with the defensive end. They really don't have that luxury this year. We're not as good as a free throw shooting team as we have been in, in, in recent years. Nobody's shooting over 40% from three, except for Lyles Davis and Parker Fox. Too bad they don't get on the court Fox that often. <laughs> and in their seven ACC losses, the Tigers have made just 25.4% of three pointers. Um, that's pretty low. And for me, it all starts with, uh, your seniors and Rita Mitchell. Those guys have just not been clicking at the same time this year. First is Mitchell getting off to a slow start. And then Reed has been at a slump lately. He can flat out go cold sometimes in games while still putting up points. And that leads to very efficient, uh, inefficient offense, um, in ACC play in league play. Uh, he's 40 shooting 41% from the field. He is up to 36% from three, but a lot of that had to do with kind of those two lat, those threes at the end of the game against Louisville, which I don't know why he can't do that earlier in games, but they're just not dropping uh, for him. He's got a lot of 0 for three-point games this year, uh, seven so far, and Andy's missed three games. He only had five all of last year, including the postseason, and his turnovers are up at 2.9 uh, a game on the year. So is Regis in a slump or was the the fact that we had Dante Grantham and Gabe DeVoe last year was kind of masking his weaknesses. 
You know, he uh, he shot 37% from three last year in conference play. Uh, this year he's shooting, shooting 36 and change, so not too much lower uh, during conference play. But on the season, he's shooting only 32.5% from three this year. Uh, and his three-point percentage throughout his college career has dropped every single season. His freshman year at Robert Morris, he shot 41% from three and 47% in conference play. Um his first year with Clemson in 2017, he shot 40% from three on the season, 43% conference play. Uh, so he does seem to get better when the competition gets stiffer, which is a good sign for the rest of the year. Hopefully that holds true. Um, and we continue to see that 36% that he's shooting so far this year go up. Uh, but to go from 41% as a freshman and 40% um, as a redshirt sophomore down to 32% as a redshirt senior... That's not the trend that you want to see. This is a guy who came back to school uh, because he didn't get good grades with the NBA draft folks. That's not the way that you endear yourself to the NBA. You know, you don't take another 30% dip in your shooting percentage uh, and make people look twice at you. So I, I don't know why he's shooting significantly worse than he did in previous years, uh, but it does seem to have gotten slightly better. He's streaky as all hell, uh, but he seems to be doing better in conference play. So hopefully that holds up and continues. Well, I think part of it is, well, A, to be fair, um, playing in whatever league Robert Morris is in. Is that the Patriot League or something like that? I think so. Um, and the defenders that they have is not nearly the same as playing in the ACC. So you can expect that the numbers not to be maybe quite as good. But he was, he, was a, his- he was a true freshman. And yeah, and including the last three seasons, his, his conference only three-point shooting has been better than his non-conference shooting. So, so when, there's, when the games matter, he does shoot better. Well, and so there's that one point. And the other, the other point is that Clemson has just not had um, really a consistent outside threat that they had last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if Shelton Mitchell's not playing well, which he has been of late, but he wasn't early on, then that allows defense defenses really to focus and lock down on one guy if nobody else is out there to threaten you. So we really have to get Rita Mitchell clicking at the same time to to not allow opposing defenses uh, opposing defenses to really lock in on one guy. Um, now Mitchell, his field goal percentage and shooting is going up since the FSU game, which has been seven games. He's shooting forty five percent from the field and forty seven percent from three. Um, he's averaging twelve point three points a game. Um, and his turnovers are going down too. In fact, he had none against Louisville. So that's a positive sign. Yeah, it is. The last three or four games, he's been a, a good bit better, which is great. Um, but on the same same path as um, as Marquise Reed, this is a guy who shot 45% from three his first year at Clemson as a, as a registered sophomore in 2017, same as, as Reed. Uh, last year, he shot 37% from the se- for the season, 39% in ACC play, which was very good. And this year he's at 31 or he's 31 half percent for the season and 34% during ACC play. What happened is, is the absence of, of Gabe DeBeau and that spacing that he provided really that big a difference maker. I don't know. Um, but a lot of the guys who were shooting better the last two years have, have really taken dips and the it's most pronounced in the guys who take the most shots, which are Mitchell and, and Reed. Yeah, so what what is behind that? Because I tend to not think that it's a development issue because when I think of players developing from year to year, I think about their fundamentals, their ball handling, their defense, and and stuff like that, not their shooting ability, right? You're either a good shooter or you're not. 
Well, you can definitely learn to shoot, but you generally don't take giant strides backwards in shooting. You generally get better as you where to get your shots and what are good shots and bad shots, and you don't force up the tough ones as much. Um, something that, that we see a lot with these two guys is that they like to create their own shots. And I think that leads to tougher looks in general. It's a lot harder to make a pull-up shot with the defender on you than it is to take a pass from somebody kicking out to you and hit a wide-open three. Um, so I think part of the issue with these guys and with the team as a whole is that there's not really uh, a very strong identity for the offense, and they don't have a good scheme to get open looks uh, against every kind of defense that we face. And so it falls on Mitchell and Reed a lot of the times um, to create shots for themselves or for others late in shot clocks. If you watch the Louisville game, there were four, five, six, seven, eight different possessions uh, in the second half that, it came down to the last five seconds of the possession and we got some good shots out of some of those, but there were a lot of forced tough, really well defended shots as well. So Reed is kind of just, he's been in some clutch situations and just kind of made some bonehead mistakes. It's missing Mm -hmm. the, the, the layup in in the Miami game. It's um, forcing up the shot on the rebound from uh, Eli Thomas's free throw miss in the, in the Louisville game. Is he, I mean, is it in his head at this point? Like, what is it? I think it's definitely in both of their heads at this point. It's um, not so bad as a case of the yips because we have seen their shooting get better uh, <clears throat> in conference place. The last month or so, it's been a good bit better. But um, when it comes down late in games, they don't seem to have that killer instinct that, you know, allows them to kind of zone everything out and be ready to finish the game strong. They get worried they get rushed they they make mistakes and you saw it with you know the game where marquise missed four straight free throws uh, against nc state you saw it with his missed shot against miami you saw it with how quickly he took that floater in the louisville game when he got the inbound pass straight to him why not take that all the way to the hoop why not turn and find a good shot it's three and a half seconds it's a lot of time have the opportunity to like call a timeout. Do allow them, right? allow them to foul you. Give the opportunity for them to foul you, so you can get to the line. You're only down by one point. Yep. So I think um, I, I don't know if it's preparation for the team or if it's just these guys getting in their own heads. But um, end of game situations, we're clearly not finishing games well with three point uh, three games. Our last three losses being two points or less, with others during the season that are within six or seven points. Um, you know, it's a lot of close losses. So it's it's something that we as a team need to get better with. And there's a lot of ways to go about that. But it's it's going to come down to guys executing in the final seconds, you know, whether it's coached well or not. So the players have to step up and, and make some make some plays. So where does Clyde Trapp fit into all of this? Because I've been wanting to see more of him. He's shooting 50% in league play, 45% from behind the arc. I know he turns the ball over, but at least he's scoring. Yeah, and you know his turnover rate is is bad. He turns it over almost a, a little bit over a quarter of the time he touches the ball when he ends possessions. Um, so if he's either shooting it, getting fouled, or turning it over, those are your three choices. But he's scoring the time, half the time he, he shoots over. the ball. But he's scoring a lot as well, uh, and especially in conference play, his his play's been really pretty awesome. He's getting a lot more aggressive with the ball. He's looking stronger with it in his hands under pressure. Um, his turnover rate is higher in 
in ACC play than it is for the whole season. He's over 30% in ACC play, 26%. Which is not, uh, not surprising. Better, better competition. Yep, totally. Um, but, but he's at a point. He's just a, a sophomore. I mean, you can progress throughout the season. Like he absolutely. will learn. And, and and the good thing is, is the shooting is, is is still up there. So the turnovers and the ball handling has not affected his confidence when it comes to scoring the basketball. Yep. Um, I think the thing with him on the shooting is that a lot of it is low volume. He's only taken 23s in conference play, only 60 on the season. He is shooting 35% on the year and 45% in ACC play, though. So give him the volume. Get him a couple more shots. He he seems to be you know, not afraid to, to hit big shots. He hit one right before the half against Louisville as the time was expiring on the shot clock, and there was an extra second before the, the half ended, but uh, a buzzer beater. And so he's been playing well. I'd love to see him get some more minutes. You've seen Brad Brownell pull Shelton Mitchell pretty quickly a number of times. There was a possession in the Louisville game where uh, they came back from a timeout. Mitchell did something that Brownell didn't like, and he pulled him within I think 10 seconds. Had, I think he had a bad drive coming out of the timeout. Yep. Just went straight for the hoop and missed it. Um, and, you know, if if Mitchell's on the bench, there's a very good chance that Clyde Trapp is filling those minutes. So you're seeing Brad's patience with Shelton wane a little bit, and I think Clyde's going to continue to see more minutes. Um, he played 25 against Louisville, 24 against uh, Miami. He didn't play very much against Virginia Tech, uh, but that was a game that Shelton Mitchell was was having a pretty good one. So that's the game he had 22 and was five for nine from three. So it makes sense that uh, Trapp's minutes were were lower. So I think if you continue to see Shelton Mitchell struggle, you're going to continue to see a lot more Clyde Trapp. And I guess I wonder why they, they wouldn't take the same approach with subbing him in for, for Marquise Reed unless their hope is they're just going to leave him in there and hope that he shoots out of his slump. Yeah, I think uh, Marquise has been the creator for this team all season. He's the engine that keeps the offense running. I don't think Brownell is comfortable with Trap and Mitchell out there together uh, by themselves as the only creators. He's... Uh, Marquise is a, a really good creator for this team, and he does a good job of, of finding shots for others as well. Um, his assist rate is up to almost 20% on the year, which is pretty good. It's not quite as good as you'd hope for a point guard, but that's not really Marquise's role in general. Um, so, you know, we're happy. I'm, I'm happy. I've been happy watching Marquise distribute the ball. Um, and Mitchell has just struggled to to lead the offense as a point guard in the way that you want your point guard to do it. And I think uh, you're seeing that with the the substitution patterns that Brownell and, and the coaching staff are taking, getting Clyde Trapp in sooner. Well, and we have been seeing a lot more three guard sets lately. We have. There was a lot against, um, against Louisville. There was one uh, out of a timeout. We came out with Amir Sims at center. And uh, a bunch of guards. That's when Shelton Mitchell made that play and got pulled. And John Newman came in for him. And it was Trap, Newman, uh, Reed, Sims, and I believe Scara were the five that were on the court, which is pretty darn small for uh, a game against Louisville, who's got guys like Stephen Enoch and uh, Malik Williams on the court, who are all, both almost seven feet and good down low players. So I like that play. It's fun to watch. Uh, definitely helps helps us push the pace a bit more, which is something this team doesn't do. We play at one of the slower paces in the country. Um, it's fun to see us run sometimes. 
Yeah, so that kind of shifts the conversation um, uh, to our forwards. And let's talk about the lack of scoring production we've we've seen out of them. Um, Scara mentioned him earlier. His offensive output is way down in ACC play, um, shooting 37% from the field and 31% from behind the arc, averaging only uh, 5.3 points, where he was almost double that at about 10 and out of conference play. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him, I think the focus on the defense is, is having an effect. Yeah, he puts in so much effort. We mentioned it earlier, but uh, guarding guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker and David Wara and Chris Likes takes a lot out of you. To ask him to be, you know, the Kawhi Leonard of our team where he's, you know, all ACC defensive player and hitting a bunch of threes and running the offense is a bit much. He's not, he doesn't have the wind at this point, essentially. Uh, He's not good enough at pacing himself to be able to do that for 30 minutes a night. Um, And it's a lot to ask from a college kid to be able to do that. There aren't a lot of guys out there in the NCAA that can do it, but he is far and away our best defender. Um, He shuts guys down every night. And if he gives us five points a night, that's great. We'll take it. If he could hit an extra shot a night and give us seven or eight, you know, it would it would make a big difference. But I can't fault him for for struggling to shoot when he's working his butt off on the defensive end like he has been. Yeah, his value is certainly in his defense. And, you know, you get you can tend to get pretty winded chasing five foot seven guys around the basketball court. Now, with Amir Sims, though, it's a different story. And though his percentages are good, his scoring has been down in conference play, uh, averaging just over eight points per game. Um, whereas he was averaging 10 in outer conference play. But in his last seven games, he's averaging only 6.7 points a game. He's only hit double digits three times in 12 conference games where, where he was scoring in double digits in over 50% yep. uh, of his outer conference games. So what's the deal with Sims? Sims is just taking some like fewer shots than he was in non-conference. I don't know why. I don't know if that's a a game plan type thing or a confidence issue or a confidence issue. I think it's probably a combination of those things. Um, But like the game against Louisville, he took five shots in the whole game uh, and he was one for five, Oh, for two from three, one for three from the field. Uh, And that bucket came in like the first minute of the game. He made a nice move over the shoulder uh, in the paint early on in the game. Didn't hit a shot the rest of the game. Uh, two points is not enough for him. We need to get, he needs to be the guy that steps up offensively because Scara is the one that is carrying the defense. Sims needs to be that, that fourth scorer uh, besides the two lead guards and Eli Thomas, who, you know, he needs to be averaging eight, 10, 12 points a game for us to be successful. Um, so whatever shooting slump that he's in or whatever, mental block he's got going on. He needs to continue to be aggressive. Uh, I'd rather see him miss eight shots in a game uh, than shoot only five. Yeah. So I I think the lack of scoring, um, you know, a lot of the blame is to be shared and goes around. And I I think we expected a lot more out of Amir Sims this year. I know he's still a sophomore, true sophomore, but it's disappointing to see his production go down uh, so much as we as the season has gone along. Now, on the bright side, let's talk about Elijah Thomas. This is a guy who's shooting almost as well from the field as he is from the free throw line. Um, yeah. it, just around 65% for both of them. Um, 27th in the country at 64.7% from uh, effective field goal rate this season yeah. for Eli, which is pretty darn impressive. 
And, and so for me, like in the in the best of all worlds, I'd rather him be our leading scorer, uh, being very efficient with his with his shots and his percentages on the shots that he takes. Um, the problem is that he's had a hard time staying out of foul trouble, and if he's only getting 25 minutes a game, I'd really love to see him up over 30 because we don't have anybody on the bench that can come in and play his position and be a scoring threat. It's not Javen White, and Jemison is still going to take some time. So yep. Elijah Thomas staying out of foul trouble has been key. He got into foul trouble early at Louisville. Um, he did have a good game, I think, 35 minutes uh, at Miami, but mm-hmm. we need him on the floor more and just to run the offense through him. That can certainly help kill some of these scoring droughts that we find ourselves uh, mired in at times. Absolutely. You saw it late in the Louisville game. Uh, after they went up seven, we started feeding the ball to Eli. He went on a little 8-0 run, not 8-0, but eight points straight for Clemson um, when we went on an 8-2 run. So he had the chance to make free throws to make that 10-2 and put us up very late in the game. Uh, but he's almost automatic on the block if he gets good positioning. He's got a really good turnaround drop step over his right shoulder on the left block. If you get him the ball in that position, he's going to score 75 to 80% of the time. And if he misses, he might get the rebound and put it back. He's just, he's a fantastic low post scorer and we do use him in that capacity, but it's like you said, he's having trouble staying on the court. He had four fouls against Louisville. Uh, picked it up pretty early. I think there were still seven or eight minutes left when he picked up his fourth foul, uh, which meant that Brownell had to pull him until later in the game. Uh, The last four games, he's had four fouls in three of them. Um, And in ACC play, you you mentioned that 30-minute barrier. He's only cracked 30 minutes in three ACC games this year. Uh, Two of them ended up being losses, Miami and Florida State. Uh, Actually, all three were losses, Virginia as well as the third game that he he cracked 30 minutes. So maybe we don't want him on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that 25-minute barrier is where we need to keep him in that 20 to 25-minute range. But um, it's definitely – we're definitely better with him on the court than off. And, you know, letting him stay in when he's in foul trouble has not been the answer. Brennell's tried it a couple times. Eli finds a way to pick up fouls. Um, what, what, what we need from him is to stop – picking up fouls on the offensive end. If he is picking up fouls because he's trying to get blocks and make good defensive plays and hustling on defense, that's understandable and acceptable. If he's picking up offensive fouls, which he had at least two against Louisville, um, setting screens, moving screens, or getting charges because he's out of control, bringing the ball down the court, that's the kind of stuff that he needs to learn to avoid and what would really help him stay on the floor longer. Yeah, and again, we mentioned the depth behind him is very shallow. Javon White's not going to be a threat on the offensive end. He's serviceable um, on the defensive end, but you know somehow in the Georgia Tech game, he picked up five fouls in fourteen minutes. Um, and then you got and then you got uh, Jemison, Trey Jemison, and he's just too raw at this point. Big dude, big body. It's going to develop. It's going to be good, but not anybody that we should be relying on at this point. No, he got. I think it was his most points or most. Um minutes in a game all season against Louisville. Potentially he played 12 minutes. It is the most he's played all year and he looked okay. He was strong defensively. He got in a little bit of foul trouble had ended up with three in the game. Uh, Two of those were back to back on opposite. They were very quick. Yeah. Um, But you know, Brownell was less worried about him fouling out because he's only going to get at most 10 minutes. Right. Um, 
So I think defensively, he's starting to figure it out. He did a really good job containing Malik Williams and Stephen Enoch when they, when he was guarding them. Uh, so I think you'll see him used a little bit more depending on the matchups and depending on who's who's out on the court for the other teams. If there's a big seven-footer type guy on the floor for the other team, um, then you'll see him come out. So if we're playing Syracuse, for example, and uh, their center, who's a big, 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 big rebounder, uh, crashes the glass really hard. If Eli gets in, in foul trouble in that game, you're going to see Jemison come in to just put a big body on somebody. Um, and essentially that's what he is right now. He doesn't have the skills to compete offensively at this level yet. Uh, he's very raw, like you said, but he's showing some improvements, which is, is promising. Yeah. But therein lies the problem. You know, when Eli goes down, we have nobody that's competent on offense behind him to play his position. And it's compounded by the fact that our, 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 our forwards are not a threat at this point, not scoring a lot. They're, they're not making an impact around the rim and, and not hitting shots from the outside. So then you're relying solely on your guards when Eli's out of the game. And, you know, given their struggles this year, that's not a necessarily a recipe for success. Um, and then the, you know, finally the bench production outside of trap is pretty much non-existent. Yep. Um, and I'm wondering if that's wearing us down a bit with our starters having to play more minutes. Um, Newman has seen limited action as of late. Hunter Tyson's minutes um, have been up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in there for less than a minute in the Louisville game. Um, mentioned White. He's just a role player at this point. Um, I, you know, I wonder, I, it still keeps coming back to me. I, I wonder how much this team actually misses Malik William. Yeah, I think I, I was just thinking about that before you mentioned it, but uh, he would fill a couple of those gaps that we just mentioned. Uh, a big guy who can score. Malik's a really good mid-range shooter. Um, he's still struggling with a concussion symptoms that he suffered in the off season. He's missed the entire year. Obviously at this point, he's not going to come back. They're going to hold him out and he'll redshirt this year. I would imagine. Um, but he's somebody that we really could use behind Eli as, as a potential low post scorer and, uh, you know, big body who can hit his weakness is figuring it out defensively. And I think that's something that our coaching staff thrives at doing is teaching players how to defend well so i'm much more confident if we could bring in offensive players which is what we did with guys like shelton mitchell and marquise reed and turning them into solid to fantastic defensive players um versus teaching guys how to be offensive players you've seen the offensive decline from some of the guys that we talked about already um so coming in with offensive skills is something that we need from from the new guys Next year, we'll have a little bit more depth up front. Hopefully, Malik will be back and healthy. Uh, Trey will have another year under his belt. Jonathan Bear, who's redshirting this year from uh, transfer from UNC Asheville, should be a huge addition offensively. Uh, we're going to be so much better down low next year. I expect him to be more active. We'll Eli, obviously, but it's, it's going to yeah. be a lot more depth, which will be helpful. Yeah, Bear's going to be a good one. He's an NBA type of talent um, from what we're hearing. Um, yeah, so finally, the, the turnovers. Overall, turnovers have been a, an issue this year. In ACC play, we've had more turnovers than our point, opponents in 7 of 12 games. Um, we're a total of minus 22 uh, turnovers in the losses. That's average of uh, three more turnovers a game than our opponents. And then Mitchell, Reed, and Thomas are turning the ball over at the highest rates of their career. All seniors. That's another thing that you expect to get better. As yep. these guys get older, we've seen it go the opposite direction. Yep, and this is the the one that I just can't figure out. I don't know why they've gotten worse in this area. Um, it's not the offense. 
it's some of it's you know trying to make big plays when it's not necessary, making one-handed passes or uh, lobbing the ball up into traffic, things like that. But there's just too many lazy passes at the top of the key, going across the key and getting stolen, which is you know leading to dunks and layups for the other team. It's it's bewildering to watch at times when we've got four starters who are graduate seniors, you know, they're fifth year seniors. Um, and we're turning it over like we're Pittsburgh, who's full of inexperienced players. It, it's, it's befuddling. Yeah. So again, a lot of things that you would have hoped that by these guys being seniors, um, there wouldn't be such a regression, you know, between the shooting of Mitchell and Reed um, some of the play at the end of the game, the decision-making at the end of the game, and then the turnovers have been perplexing, and that's a big reason why this team is kind of, um, you know, sitting there the 8-9 position in the ACC this year. But that being said, at the same time, there's still a lot of talent, a lot of potential for this team, and they can still find themselves in the tournament, especially with how well they have been playing defense. So... Let's uh, transition here to taking a look at our last six games in the ACC play and breaking that down and and just uh, throwing out there what it will take, what we think it'll take for Clemson to make a return trip to the NCAA tournament. Okay, Sam, the schedule does set up quite nicely for Clemson to make a run here at the end of the year. Four of our last six games are at home. Those two road games are at Pitt and Notre Dame, two terrible teams. Um... What do we have to do to lock in a tourney bid at this point? I'm thinking we have to win five of six. Just dropping that Miami game was huge. And if you don't get that Louisville game, and part of it being because we just don't have quality wins on our schedule, I think we have to win one against Florida State in North Carolina, the most likely being Florida State. I think to be comfortable come selection Sunday, we definitely need five wins. There's a chance that we could make it into the tournament with four um, but if we just beat Boston College, Pitt, Notre Dame, and Syracuse, that may not be enough. One quality win against Virginia Tech, who had their point guard out, is not a very strong resume as far as marquee wins. Yeah, like you I mean, said, I think we need at least one of the two against North Carolina or Florida State. They're both at home. They're both going to be super tough, but uh, we, we need one to really bolster the resume. Yeah, I, I think if we if we end up going four and two here to close out the regular season, putting us at nineteen wins, um, that the only way that we can maybe get in without winning some games in the ACC tournament is if two of those wins are against FSU and North Carolina. We'd have to win both of those. I do not like our chances against North Carolina now with with how well they've been playing. So it really does coming down to I think we have to go five and one, and it's crunch time. We're running out of games. And, and and running out of uh, the ability to show the, the committee something. So you can't lose any more stupid games. We're not, we don't have a strong schedule. And I think we have to, we're going to have to beat FSU at home, which is certainly, we're certainly capable of doing. Again, I mentioned the three teams that I don't think we're capable of beating. FSU is not one of them. Um, so let's say we go five and one. That puts us at 20 and 11. Um, and I think at that point, I'd be comfortable no matter what happens in the ACC tournament. But I even agree. then, even then, you're starting moving up into probably like that five or six range in the ACC, so your 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 tournament opponent is not that strong. So I expect maybe even getting another win there. Um, but if we do go four and two, we're really going to have to at least win two games in the ACC tournament, if not three. 
Um, we are going to finish no lower than the ninth in the league, which no matter what puts us on the bubble, that's how it plays out. Yep. Um, the bottom line is we can only afford to lose to those two ranked opponents at this point. Um, and even then we'd have some work to do, but we cannot lose uh, those four gimme games. If we go three and three in the, in, in for the rest of the season, we might have to win the NC uh, the ACC tournament to get in. Yeah, I think three and three would put us in a terrible position. Four and two puts us essentially where we are right now, right on the edge of the bubble. There's a possibility that the committee puts us in depending on how strong the bubble is, which I think it's going to be a little bit weaker this year. Um, but it's not a position we want to see ourselves in. So wins against the remaining uh, obvious teams, uh, which Boston College, Pitt, Notre Dame, we have to beat period. If we lose to one of those three, we're in trouble. If we lose to Syracuse in a close game, it's not the very end of the world, but it doesn't line up for us well. Uh, and North Carolina and Florida State, we it would it would hugely help us if we could steal one of those. And they're both at home, so there's a chance. Uh, North Carolina, like you said, is fantastic. They've been on fire lately. Unfortunately, so has Florida State. Uh, they've actually won seven straight since they beat us in January. Uh, but it includes pretty much the lower half of the ACC. They've been playing the weakest part of their schedule. They've got some tough ones coming up. Um, but in that stretch, they beat us to start it off. They beat uh, Miami, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Louisville in overtime, uh, Wake, and Georgia Tech. So that Wake, Georgia Tech, twice, and Miami games are all games they should have won. Uh, the Louisville game was close, and Syracuse, they killed at uh, on the road at Syracuse, which was a huge win for them and kind of switched the trajectories of those two teams on this season. Uh, so it's going to be a tough matchup on Tuesday when we, when we host them. Yeah. So taking a look and let, let's kind of segment this into our next three games and what do we have to do again? That's, as you mentioned, versus uh, uh, Florida state at home against BC and then at Pitt. I think we need to win all three of these games that would put us at 18 and 10 with three games left. Um, and at that point, you know, if we're 17 and 11 at that point and thinking we need to win the final three games and two of those are against North Carolina and Syracuse, Syracuse is not a ranked team, but they're still fighting for their life and, and kind of in a similar position as Clemson yep. seeking out a NCAA tournament bid. Um, and if we lose to FSU, I think we need to run the table after that. And I don't see us finishing the season with five wins. Yeah, I think if we lose Florida State, we're not going to get five out of the remaining six. Um, so three, no in the next three would put us in really good position. The Florida state game is obviously the hardest and most important of that bunch. Uh, like you mentioned, Syracuse late in the year in the second three games, uh, they're currently projected as an eight seed. And if they mess up in their next couple games, that game could be the thing that puts them in. Uh, we would still look like a quality win for them if they were to pull it off. Um, on the road, no less for Syracuse. Um, so we we need to be secure before we get into that game that we have put ourselves in position for a bid to the tournament because Syracuse is going to come out fighting in that one. Yeah, so I mean, uh, to, to look on the bright side for Clemson fans is they pull themselves up off the mat um, at, at that loss at Miami with a quick turnaround going to Louisville and still fought that game and had a chance to win at the end when they had that heartbreaking loss at NC State. They turned around and, and blew out Pitt. So this team keeps bouncing back and they've got it in them and they're going to have to continue to keep doing that um, moving forward. And, you know, maybe if we do 
uh, win these next three games, uh, fans will stop calling for Brad Bell's head. You know, that'll never happen. Ben. If you, you, know if you want to feel better about your job, go on to the tiger net message boards after Clemson loses a basketball game and see how the um, quote unquote board members of, uh, of, of Clemson sports are wanting to fire Brad Brownell over every little thing. Um, if you want to feel good about your job, you just go look at that. Um, yeah, so 3-0, I think that's the benchmark, and that's what we have to look for um, with our remaining ACC schedule. Um, other than that, it starts getting really tough, and you're really starting having to rely on ACC tournament wins, which is not an easy thing to do. Yep. So that wraps it up for the look at the basketball team here. Again, we'll look forward to seeing how they do fare over these next three games. Um, but now let's uh, let's pivot here to taking a look around the ACC and the rest of the, the national college basketball landscape. Okay, Sam, uh, Duke currently sits atop the league. They're probably going to move into first place with the Tennessee loss to Kentucky uh, yesterday. Um, they look unbeatable with Zion. And then North Carolina has been on a really good run. We mentioned that. They've moved into a tie with UVA for second. At 10, both are at 10-2 and two in league play. Uh, the Louisville team that we just lost to is tied fourth at 9-4 and four with Virginia Tech, a team that we just beat. Then FSU, Syracuse, NC State, and that order above us. All teams we can beat. So I still think there's a lot of ability to move up in this league. Definitely. Uh, if we finish strong like we just talked about and end up with a 10-win ACC uh, conference play, that's going to put us probably in sixth in conference would be my guess because that would include wins against Florida State and Syracuse most likely if we get five wins. Um, and so that would put them both right around the same as us. It probably put us ahead of North Carolina state uh, at Louisville, Florida state and Syracuse are kind of the next tier. Virginia tech. If they don't get Justin Robinson back uh, could struggle to close out the year as well. And the top three in, in the conference, Duke, Virginia and uh, North Carolina are going to stay where they are. They're not going anywhere, but Virginia tech's got a really tough schedule coming up uh, with games against Virginia, Duke, and Florida State in their last five. So I could see them dropping all three, especially if Justin Robinson is not playing. So that's one of the teams that could drop. Um, yeah, and State I mentioned it, and I mentioned it as up. much. I mentioned it as much, sorry, in our in our last episode, that the start to Virginia Tech's schedule, um, in contrast to Clemson's in, in ACC play, was very weak. They were playing mm-hmm. a lot of the bottom dwellers. So they could be a bit of an anomaly uh, when we look at these rankings here. I think the top three are very solid. Louisville, we just, you know, they're a good basketball team, solid basketball team, but not unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination. And then, you know, again, those last three, Seminoles, uh, the Orangemen, and the Wolfpack, we can take them all. There's a lot of room for movement here. Absolutely. There's no there's no room for dropping. No, I mean, even if we drop one of the ones that we talked about, if we lose to Syracuse, North Carolina, and Florida State, that's going to put us <clears throat> at 8-10 and 10 in play. And I don't think we even drop one spot if we end up at eight and 10, because Boston college would need to pretty much win out to catch us uh, in that scenario. And so we, we're going to be no worse than ninth. It would be great if we could move up to about sixth or seventh uh, and end the season with four or five wins. 
Yeah, so really taking a look at it at a whole, in in real time, the loss to NC State was, okay, that's not the end of the season. It could come back to haunt us, but there's a lot of games left to play. But now you've got the NC State game, the Miami game, and the Louisville game, um, and now those things could come back to haunt you. You even win yep. one of those three. You're Too looking at Clemson. Yeah, you, we win one of those three. You look at Clemson being 6-6 six and six in, in the ACC uh, that put us in eighth place, and we'd be 16-9 and nine overall, and you'd be feeling really good about the direction of this team. But the fact of the matter is we didn't. So you know, part of it is the ball needs to bounce Clemson ways, and part of it is they just need to lock down and play consistent throughout the game. Yep. And stop playing down to their competition. Yeah, we need to play like we did against Virginia Tech throughout the whole game against every team that we play. Um, so taking a look uh, nationally, uh, looking at the top 25, you had the Kentucky-Tennessee matchup over the weekend, uh, highly anticipated. Uh, Tennessee was, um, were they, they had one loss coming into that game, I believe? That was their first loss in conference play. That was their first loss uh, in conference play. I think they had a loss in overtime to Kansas earlier in the year. Yep. Yep. I should know that. You should um, know that. I should know that. But um, I, I think the storyline here was that Tennessee had worse strengths of uh, had a worse strength of schedule than Santa Clara University coming into the game against Kentucky. So um, yeah, a little bit of fool's gold with uh, Tennessee, I think. Their SEC schedule, SEC schedule is super backloaded. They have that game against uh, Kentucky that they just lost, obviously. Um, but they've got a pretty rough stretch coming up as well with games against uh, Mississippi State, another one against Kentucky, uh, LSU, and Ole Miss, and Auburn. Uh, so those are all teams that, while maybe not all tournament teams, they're all on the bubble um, and could all, on the right night, beat anybody in, in the SEC yeah, so I, I didn't. I, I saw a lot out of Kentucky the other night. I was actually pretty impressed uh, by how they played. Tennessee just kind of, you know, in a much more experienced. I think they're one of the most experienced teams in the country, if not the mm-hmm. most experienced team in the country. Um, so that that told me a lot going on to uh, Kentucky's home court. You would think that their seniority would um, be a bit of a field leveler um, in, in that respect, but it wasn't. Kentucky played a good basketball game. Um, you know, and other than that, I'm looking at the top 10 here. Not a lot of movement. Not not a lot of movement this weekend. Um, yeah, but there's, I mean, the top 10 remains mostly unchanged. Houston is coming up. They're actually 23 and one on the season. Um, so one of the non big powerhouse conference teams is, is getting into the top 10, which is kind of cool. Uh, along with Nevada, who still looks incredible. Um, but the rest of it's pretty much the teams that you expect. Tennessee this year is the anomaly, but you've got Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia, Kentucky, Michigan, uh, Nevada, UNC, Houston, and Marquette. These are all teams that we see in the tournament every year uh, and that are generally in the top 25, if not the top 10. So the only uh, the more glaring thing about the top 10 is is the omission of, of your second team, Ben. Kansas is yeah, still, they- not, still not in the lead in the, in the Big 12. No, the Jayhawks um, struggling a little bit this year. You know, they've, they've lost some guys missing some size down low. Um, they're ranked 14th as of the last rankings. And so they're still trying to keep their 14th straight Big 12 regular season titles alive. They're tied for second right now uh, behind Kansas State. Um, but, I, yeah, I just don't know how it's going to play out for them. They had a good win against uh, West Virginia over the weekend. But I think just inconsistency this year, it just doesn't seem to be their year. Yeah. Uh, and it's. 
it's been a source of obviously Kansas has won the Big Twelve for uh, many years running. Fourteen. Fourteen years, thank you. And it's a, a source of contention for the rest of the teams in the Big Twelve. Obviously, they don't like Kansas. They don't want Kansas to win. Uh, and on Reddit, the last couple of weeks, I've got to give a shout out because it's it's been just a hilarious run uh, of a Kansas State fan who has been creating fantastic gifts and all of the rest of the conference. Now that Kansas state is in first place has gotten a little bit annoyed with these gifts because he's just poking fun at all the other teams. And so there's been a bunch of back and forth. If you want a good laugh and are a big college basketball fan, go onto the college basketball subreddit on Reddit and uh, watch some of those gifts. They're fantastic. Yeah. Kansas state is, is the Gamecocks uh, to KU. Um, with the dominance in sports being flipped to basketball, um, except for the fact that KU never really considered K-State their rival until Missouri left the Big 12. Um, but looking ahead, I mentioned Kansas State is in first place in the Big 12. Not really strong league this a year. Ha- a half game up on on yeah. uh, Kansas and Texas Tech. Iowa State's a game back. Baylor could still win it. Yeah. but uh, very you competitive. Know, yeah, and Kansas has a tough schedule. Three of their last five games are on the road. Two of uh, their last games against ranked teams, including uh, next week against the currently ranked uh, 15th-ranked Texas Tech, and then following that at home uh, with a quick turnaround two days later versus K-State. Um, so they still have the ability. They kind of can, quote-unquote, control their own destiny at this point. They just need to win out. They have games against the two teams that are uh, the one that they're tied with for, for second in Texas Tech and the one that's ahead of them with the Kansas State. So anything's possible. They just need to lock down. We'll see if they can. Okay, wrapping things up here, um, talk a little Tiger baseball real quick. Uh, the team kicked off the 2019 season over the weekend. They took a 2-1 to series win over South Alabama. The one lost didn't sit well with some fans, uh, trying to drive Monty Lee out already. Um, don't think you can judge a team by their first series. Um, the interesting thing is the the pitching rotation uh, for this team, the weekend rotation going into the year. Uh, unfortunate news, Spencer Strider out for the year. with uh, He's going to have to get Tommy John surgery. He was a guy who performed well last year and was really hoping to see him turn a corner and be a dominant starter this year. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. But kind of the bright side is, you know, outside of Brooks Crawford, uh, the one returner from last year in the char- starting rotation, he uh, 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 threw the first game. Uh, going four and two thirds, giving up two runs. Jacob Hennessy is actually starting the year coming out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. So that leaves two true freshmen um, in lefty Davis Sharp and uh, righty Justin Robleski. Now, Davis Sharp in the second game, uh, which was the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday, goes five innings, two hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, and only two walks. That's a hell of a performance out of a freshman. Yep. In the second game of the doubleheader, he goes two for four two from homers. the plate with two homers and three yeah. RBIs for his first hits of his uh, Clemson's career. So, you know, give me more of Davis Sharp. Uh, I want to see more of that. And then following that up, Clemson drops the third game of the doubleheader. Uh, Robleski pitched well. He went five, five and two thirds, four hits, four runs, eight strikeouts. So the strikeouts are up there. So actually, you know, though he took the loss, some very positive things. Out of Sharp. <clears throat> yeah. Besides those home runs from Sharp, he didn't get a whole lot of run support. In fact, he got none besides the home runs. Um, and so if we give up four runs in most of our games this year, we'll win the majority of those games. We're going to have a good offense. We're going to score more than four runs most of the time. Yeah, and, you know, pitching always starts off ahead of hitting. Hitting is slow to catch up. You'll see us get further into the season, and the team will start hitting better. It's very early. you got to uh, see some positive things out of Bryce Teodosio, 
Um, Logan Davidson off to a little bit of a slow start, but he'll heat up. You know, opposing teams are really going to make it a point this year not to let him beat them, mm-hmm. especially with Seth Beer gone. So we're really going to need Wilkie to repeat last year's performance from the plate to protect him. Um, Davidson with five strikeouts and eight of bats so far this year. We do not expect to, to see that continue to play out. But um, Sam Hall off to a good start from the plate playing third base. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of positive things for the team this year. We will do a um, – a season preview for this team. We'll try to get that in on the next episode, time permitting. Um, but looking ahead of the schedule, we got Charlotte and Tennessee Tech are the midweek games this week. Uh, the Charlotte game being bumped up to Monday, I think, because of weather. Um, and then we have a three-game series at home next weekend uh, against uh, BMI. BMI. <laughs> and then the following weekend, our annual series against South Carolina. So quickly getting into it. And I think after that, we start ACC play with North Carolina. So, yeah, uh, it's baseball season again. Really exciting to, what, uh, to see what this team has in store and if Monty Lee continue uh, um, his success over the past several years and getting us out of a regional. Yeah, let's hope we can make it to, uh, to the big dance this year. You know, it does say Omaha the on the back of our hats uh, for a reason, so maybe we should try making an appearance. Yeah, that'd be good. Once in a while. So that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. As I mentioned, um, we, we kind of broke down uh, the remaining rain of the basketball season into a three-game stretch. We're going to check in after that third game uh, to see how the team has fared, uh, whether they're meeting our expectations, and whether we still have a shot uh, to make the tournament. Um, and again, we will get on this baseball season, doing a season preview, and continue to follow them throughout the year. So. If you're not doing it already, please uh, follow us on any of your, whichever podcasting app you prefer that ensures that you get um, our episodes pushed to you as soon as they come out. Um, You can reach out to us. We're at Clemson Facebook or at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And you can email us at ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. And as always, iTunes reviews are super helpful and we certainly do appreciate them. So once again, thank you everybody for tuning in. And until next time, go Tigers. Go Tigers.